BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, it was the biggest Cyber Monday yet, $6.6 billion, and uh, hope you got a few bargains out of it. Hello, everybody. Here we go on a Tuesday, Tuesday, November 28th, The Bill Press Show, booming out to you live. All across this great land of ours, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. We're right here in the heart of the action. Congress back in town. Uh, The Senate Budget Committee gearing up today to pass that sham of a tax bill, which the Congressional Budget Office (coughs) has pointed out, will cost uh, most Americans uh, more, more in taxes. They'll be paying more in taxes, all the tax cuts going to the wealthiest of Americans and the biggest of American corporations, not even helping small businesses. Uh, A total sham, uh, but what do you expect out of Donald Trump and the Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell? Uh, Just one of the stories we are following today, and of course, Donald Trump uh, getting everybody sidetracked yesterday uh, by taking an awards ceremony at the White House and turning it into another demeaning attack, another personal attack, another racial slur against Native Americans there in the presence of three Native Americans who should have been there to be honored as American heroes. And that's why they were invited. Uh, And Donald Trump just basically stole stole the spotlight from them and embarrassed and humiliated them, as as well as all the rest of us. Oh, so much going on, so much we want to talk about and you will want to talk about. So send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. And we'll get into uh, all of our guests, all of our topics today. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. We'll start where we started yesterday with the royal wedding. We know that Prince Harry is engaged to be wed to American actress Meghan Markle. Well, According to Us Weekly magazine, we know who won't be at the wedding. Donald Trump. Yes. yes. According to sources, Prince Harry says that he is uh, highly critical of Donald Trump and says he is, quote, not a fan. And Harry thinks the president is a serious threat to human rights. So he will not be invited to the royal wedding. You know who will. Barack Obama. That's right. That's the next part of the story. They also said that Barack Obama most likely will be invited 
to the royal wedding because Harry he did have a relationship with him. He met him a couple of times. Harry and Michelle uh, had a thing going at the, uh, I mean, I'm not. You got to be careful. At the Invincible Games or The Invictus Games, yeah. Yeah, right. The Invictus Games, I'm sorry. And Trudeau is there, too. Uh, so I bet he'll, I bet he'll get an invite. He'll probably well. get oh, an oh no, he'll get. He'll invite. probably get an invite. But you know, also Meghan Markle, when she was, uh, they were filming Suits in Canada. Yeah. And she said, uh, "This guy's such a monster. I might just stay in Canada." <laughs> so neither one of them are big fans. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't. Sound Do you watch like Suits, Bill? Did I watch it? You watch Suits? Do you watch the show that no. she's on? No, I had I no idea she was on that show. I don't even know. It was a deep the show. pull there. I've never yeah. even heard of the yeah. show. Uh, hey, this hey, movie. Know. Pop culture. That's yeah, me. I guess so. Yeah. Uh-huh. Speaking of pop culture, this yes. movie, uh, Lady Bird. Have you seen Lady Bird yet? Oh, though? I want to very badly. No, I, I'd like to see it. Well, it has just set a record on Rotten Tomatoes. The average critic rating so far is a whopping 8.9 out of 10. In other words, really? That means every a, reviewer. A bad. Bad? No, good, 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 good. Oh, no. good. They wow. like it. That means every reviewer likes it, and a lot of them outright just plain love it. <laughs> It has 164 positive reviews out of 164 total reviews. Oh, my reviews, God. So everybody loves it. Ray not, says it is so, so good. Not only is it batting 1,000, uh, it has more reviews than any other movie in Rotten Tomatoes history. Is it about Lady Bird? No. No, no, no not about Lady Bird Johnson. Oh, okay. But I won't right. tell you. I won't there's, tell re- you. there's a reference, I won't, tell, yes. I won't tell you anything yes. else about it. All right. You've seen well, it, Peter? I have. Oh. What are you, burying the lead here? Who cares what I think? I thought it was very good. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was very good. Yeah, I thought it was very good. You know what Ray thinks, I don't know what you think. I don't know, this weekend sounds like a good deal. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Oh, yes, Donald Trump can't help himself. Turns an award ceremony into another racial slur. What a clown. Hey, hello, everybody. Great to see you today on a Tuesday, Tuesday, November 28th. We're here in Washington, D.C., where your taxes are just about to go up, up, up. Yeah, you might get a tiny little break for a couple of years. Um, but by within five years, you are going to pay, most of you, the vast majority of you are going to pay more taxes, not less, more in taxes, thanks to Senate Republicans, House Republicans, and Donald Trump. Just remember uh, who brought you uh, the bad news. Good to see you today. It's the Bill Press Show coming to you on uh, YouTube, online, of course. On YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Thanks for joining us online. And don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe. Sign up, subscribe, become become one of our regular YouTube followers. Um, looking at you on Free Speech TV as well. Great to see you there today. And uh, joining you in Radioland uh, out in Chicago on WCPT and in Indiana on Indiana Talks. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining us. The top stories of the day. Yes, Donald Trump with uh, his racial slur yesterday about, again, about Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Who is in charge of the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau? That is the big question in Washington today. When two directors, not one, two directors showed up for work yesterday. I mean, who do you follow, right, if you're an employee of that agency? 
Uh, we mentioned a big, big Cyber Monday yesterday, $6.6 billion, a new record. And, yes, you uh, might have been surprised to see on television these days ads for cigarettes. That hasn't happened for some, I don't know, 30 years or so. But these ads for cigarettes have a little different message that smoking can kill you and does kill about 1,200 Americans a day. Oh, gosh, where do we start? we got to start with, by the way, let's just, because I was over on CNN yesterday, and, and the question was, okay, this looks like a big week for Donald Trump, right? Yeah, another big week for Donald Trump. <laughs> and right, it is, okay, big week for Donald Trump. Think about it. Tax cut bill up in the Senate this week, Senate Budget Committee. He's coming up to the Senate today to have lunch with the Republicans and give a little cheer, cheerleading talk to get that tax cut bill. You know, there's, we're faced with, by the end of next week, the possibility of a government shutdown. they got to deal with that, come up with a solution. Uh, that includes doing something about the Dreamers, which a lot of senators, Democrats and Republicans, want to do. you got the whole Roy Moore thing still going on with now another candidate down in Alabama and Donald Trump kind of decide is he going to go down there and campaign for Roy Moore. you got all of that. Uh, he has a big meeting yesterday with Chuck and Nancy and Paul and Mitch. He's got the elephants. We still haven't heard about how he's finally going to resolve the elephants, right? That's right. So you got right. all this stuff on Donald Trump's plate. And what does he do? Yesterday, yesterday, we're talking about, by the way, the president of the United States. Yesterday, he tweets out, I think we should have a contest as, which, as to which television channel is the most dishonest in covering me, with, of course, capital E, capital letters, me, uh, my presidency. Which channel is the most dishonest? And we'll exclude Fox, he says, because Fox, of course, is always honest. Yeah. The fact is, we know who the most dishonest, which the most dishonest channel is covering Donald Trump. It is Fox News because all they do is kiss his ass. I mean, everything. It's. I mean, we could tell you here in the studio. So you can't see them all. Maybe you can. I don't know where the cameras are. But we have three television monitors in the studio. So we can watch every morning without hearing it, of course, because the sound is down. Fox and Friends, uh, CNN, and MSNBC. The difference between what they're covering... And what they're saying about Donald Trump is night and day. Right? Former liberal CNN, MSNBC, fake news host, Bill Press. <laughs> fake, news. Yeah, but, <laughs> fake news host. <laughs> Donald Trump has time to put out this stupid idea about rating the television channels. Uh, and then, then, again, we're talking about the president of the United States with all these weighty issues on his plate, uh, he's asked to uh, perform a presidential service yesterday. This is one thing that presidents do, and Barack Obama did so well. I went to so many of these events in the East Room of the White House. This wasn't in the East Room. I'm not exactly sure what room of the White House. I think it was the Roosevelt Room. But at any rate, uh, to honor Americans who have performed a great service to this country. And one of the greatest unsung services to this country was performed by Native Americans. If you know anything, if you read any history about World War II, a key role, I mean, what really saved the day for the United States in the Pacific War were, were Native Americans who came up 
using the roots of their Native American languages. I believe it was the Navajos uh, and, and exclusively. Uh, it was up, such a hard language to learn. It's yeah, such a hard yeah. language to figure out that right. it, that was the only code, only code that, that we could trust. That we could trust. And the Japanese were able to penetrate any other uh, transmissions, you know, radio, radio contacts or whatever uh, of the United States and learning all of our military secrets. So um, the, uh, the, the military turned to the Navajo in tri tribe. They came up with a code that the Japanese could not crack. And again, it saved hundreds of thousands of lives and turned the corner in the war in the Pacific. There are 13 of these Native Americans who gave their services to the country and developed this code who are still alive. They're all in their 90s. Only three of them were able to travel to the White House yesterday to be recognized for their role and to be thanked. And instead, Donald Trump takes over that service uh, and um, can't help himself. Oh, let's see. Native Americans? Oh, yeah. What does that remind me of? Elizabeth Warren. Here it is. Just, in, just listen to this, how totally disgusting it is from beginning to end. You're very, very special people. You were here long before any of us were here. Although we have a representative in Congress who they say was here a long time ago. They call her Pocahontas. But you know what? I like you because you are special. He oh, is, he God, is the, it just makes me sick. He's the dumbest person. He is just the dumbest totally. person. Why did he have to go there? Why? Because he thinks he's so freaking funny. Well, that's the thing. If you, you know, if, if you watch the video, nobody it, laughed. He turns and looks at the crowd yeah, after yeah. he says his uh -huh. punchline and Pocahontas, and nobody's laughing. Nobody, no one thinks it's funny. No. It was, but you know what? I like you. I like you because you are that, special. That breathing is wrong with he, oh, God. But again, it was so uncomfortable, so embarrassed, and immediately after the ceremony. The people at the White House said uh, how offended they were by his use of that word. Uh, at best, at best, it was another distraction yeah. from the event and from the important work of this week. At worst, it was another demeaning comment, another personal attack, another racial slur. And by the way, um, he also conducted this ceremony. I don't know who at the White House thought up this nice little <laughs> trick. Uh, in front of a portrait, which is why I'm sure it wasn't the East Room, uh, in front of a portrait of Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson, who signed the Indian Removal Act, uh, taking Native Americans, forcing them off their native lands and into reservations, the worst land we could possibly find out in the West. The, the Martin Luther King Jr. bust wasn't available, I take it? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Uh, what, what, so, what a disgusting story. And by the way, so Elizabeth Warren was very quick to respond uh, yesterday, uh, speaking to uh, MSNBC. It is deeply unfortunate that the President of the United States cannot even make it 
through a ceremony honoring these heroes without having to throw out a racial slur. Yeah, deeply unfortunate for all of us. But again, you know, that's who he is. That's how he treats people. And he gets a hold of these what he thinks are cute little things, and he never lets go. He's still calling Hillary crooked Hillary. Sure. Maybe right. we give him a fidget spinner during ceremonies like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something and he'll like that, stay right. focused on that instead of meandering and insulting uh, members of Congress and using racial slurs. Yeah. Hello. Right. Uh, and of course, of course, his lackey, um, the press secretary of the United States, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Nothing wrong with it at all. She's quizzed here by Jonathan Carl of ABC News. At the event that the president just did with the Navajo Code Talkers, he referred to Pocahontas being in the Senate. Why did he feel the need to say something that is offensive to many people while honoring the Navajo Code Talkers, these genuine American I think what most people find offensive is uh, Senator Warren lying about her heritage to advance her career. No, no, no. She said it was a racial slur. She said it was a racial slur. What is your response to that? I I think that's a ridiculous response. Oh, ridiculous response. Well, let's see. The Native Americans were at the White House yesterday. Their spokespeople said this was a racial slur. The the Navajo community, Navajo Nation, came out with a statement immediately after the ceremony yesterday uh, saying it was a racial slur. Uh, yeah, but no, let's ask, let's ask Sarah Huckabee Sanders from Arkansas, right, what's a racial slur and what's not, as if she freaking knows. Here's what I find. Ridiculous response. Here's what I find so interesting about this. Uh. Like, there are a lot of Republicans who are upset for what Elizabeth Warren allegedly said about her Native American heritage. Now there have been a lot of there have been a lot of people who've looked at this. Uh Politifact took a look and said like we're not we're not going to weigh in on this cuz we really don't know what her heritage is. But the allegation is that she used yeah. the fact that she said she to was a job part Native American or to, to get, get accepted. Is to get accepted at Harvard, right? So even if that makes you mad and that's fine. You could be mad at that. You could be annoyed at that. Yeah. Even if that makes you mad, it doesn't give you the right to use a racial slur. And what I, what I was explaining to somebody yesterday, Rachel Dolezal, who we remember was a, a white woman who tried to pass herself off as black, even though she was not black. Ooh, right. It still doesn't give you the right to call her the N-word after the fact, right? Like you could be annoyed and mad at her for doing that, but it doesn't give you a right to be racist just no. because you didn't like it. No. And by the way, you can't. No. Right. You, it is improper to use an unacceptable, for whatever reason. End of story. The, to use the N word, to use the words that we used to call Mexicans. Sure. Right. Or Latinos. Sure. Uh, Hispanics. And it's equally wrong to use the word Pocahontas as a it's a derogatory derogatory term, term yes. other than uh, unless you're talking about the historic figure Pocahontas, as well as it's offensive and unacceptable to use the name of the Washington football team. Right? They don't get it either. Neither does Donald Trump. Uh, it's a disgusting and an embarrassing moment yesterday, but one of many, and we can expect one every day. And shall we uh, add that um, our uh, crack? Producer Jamie Benson predicted this yesterday morning. Oh, yeah. What time, Jamie, did you? uh... 6.30 a.m. 
6.30 I was looking at the official White House daily press schedule. I saw 2 o'clock, this ceremony with Native American leaders, and I thought, Pocahontas, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, yeah. it's got to happen. Yeah. And yeah. there it was. There it was. There <laughs> it is. Yes. Um, so what's going to happen today, Jamie? I don't know, but people people were tweeting at me yesterday saying, can you give me the lotto numbers? <laughs> or can you predict that perhaps he'll resign? He's not going to resign. <laughs> no, that, that that I know is not going to happen. But Keith yeah. Olbermann thinks he, he will. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, in other news, yesterday, the uh, Senate Budget Committee yesterday is going to uh, – um, will be meeting. They're just going to automatically put out the uh, tax bill, which will be voted – go to the floor uh, and voted on by the end of the week. It is the tax cut bill, not the tax reform bill, which uh, we've mentioned many times. Um the president did meet with Republican senators yesterday down at the White House, including the chair of the Senate Finance Committee, uh, Aaron Hatch, uh, who said, here's all we need to do uh, up, up there to get something done is Democrats just have to, I mean, Aaron Hatch, Democrats just have to play along with us. I'm known for somebody who can bring both sides together, so we don't want to ignore our Democrat friends as well. And I just hope that they will get off their duffs and start working with us rather than just voting in block against everything we try and come up with. Oh, God. Oh, my God. God. So, so. I just, that, that speaks so much. After they have rigged the whole system, engineered the whole system, to force a tax cut bill without benefiting just the wealthiest of Americans, without any, ta- without any hearings, without, no, not one single public hearing in the House or in the Senate, and they've done this under reconciliation in the Senate, so they only need 50 votes or 51, depending on whether or not you're going to put Mike Pence to work. That's, that's, and they've not allowed Democrats in any of the meetings to provide any amendments to be part of the process at all. And then he turns around, just like Donald Trump always does, and says, if only the Democrats would get off their duffs and work with us. Oh, yeah, it's so disgusting. But at any rate, any idea that this bill... Paul Krugman has an outstanding column in the New York Times this morning, uh, and it's it, it t- t- telling that this is just this bill is a total total scam. The Congressional Budget Office put out its numbers yesterday. First of all, remember this tax cut bill also takes a whack at Obamacare because they can't give up on that and does away with the individual mandate, according to the Congressional Budget Office, which is the objective nonpartisan research arm of the United States Congress, that means that 13 million Americans will lose their health insurance like that as soon as this bill is signed into law, if it is signed into law. It also shows that if you're making, they, 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 they say, well, listen to what, how, what Donald Trump said yesterday about this bill. They keep saying this is a bill that's going to help everybody, especially uh, the middle class. Actually, I think it's going to benefit everybody. Uh, It's going to mostly benefit people looking for jobs more than anything else because we're giving great incentives. Well, again. Rich uh, people looking for jobs? Yeah. Rich people. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Donald, uh, the Congressional Budget Office, if you're making uh, less than $40,000 a year, you're going to be paying higher taxes by 2020. That's two years. Higher taxes. If you're making less than $75,000 a year, uh, if you're in that middle class, you're going to be paying, you're going to be worse off. You're going to be paying higher taxes in two or three years, right? The 
biggest people by far, the, the, the people who get the biggest cuts by far, uh, make all those making over $1 million a year. What, so what this is, and think about this, Republicans got everything. They've got all this power. They got the Senate, they have the House, and the White House. And they will have one legislative accomplishment this year. They haven't done anything in terms of passing a bill, nothing on no front at all, no major legislation. This will be the one and only for their first year controlling the entire federal government. And what are they going to deliver? A massive transfer of wealth to the wealthiest people in this country and the biggest corporations in this country. And the corporate tax cuts last forever. They are permanent. The individual mini little tax cuts here and there last for maybe five years. It's, and then they go away unless, again, you're making over a million dollars a year. It's it amazing. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. What a scam it is. Total scam. And you know We've what? seen this from, like, every Republican president trying to give some sort of a tax cut to the wealthy, right? Like, I, George yeah. W. Bush did this. Right. This is what happens. But the the lengths at which they go Oops. to screw, like, poor Americans in this bill is horrifying. It's horrifying. I mean, you ran down some of the numbers earlier. I, the, yeah. the CBO's calculations they put out at the end of yeah. last week and over the weekend – yeah, they listen I mean, to all that. You can look at and, it. And by the way, they're like immediate. They're yeah. like immediate. Right. By 2019, Americans earning less than 30000 a year would be worse off under the Senate bill. That's that's like next year, almost next year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the way these things, the way these things kick in. Cut, uh, cut, cut. There he is. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> right. Um, uh, again, Paul, Paul Krugman, the headline on this column is, the biggest tax scam in history. The core core of the bill, he says, is a huge redistribution of income from lower and middle class families to corporations and business owners. You know, they're always accusing Democrats of a um, redistribution of wealth. No, this is a redistribution of wealth. I mean, they accuse Democrats of wanting to do it from the wealthy to the middle class. Republicans are doing it from the middle class to the wealthy, the people who need it least. Uh, more on the tax cuts a little later in the show. Um, and, yes, I'm more on uh, with our first guest, Victoria Gita from uh, Politico, on this uh, just huge, huge um, mix-up down at the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau with two people showing up to lead the agency yesterday. We'll get into that with her uh, here at the uh, a half hour. A couple of little items on the news. Down in the Roy Moore territory, uh, things got a little more complicated down in Alabama. A former top White House aide, wait, this is a Trump administration aide. He wasn't there very long. He was an assistant to um, White House Chief of Staff John Kelly. He is a Marine, retired Marine Colonel, Colonel Lee Busby, has said he's going to run in Alabama as an independent because he says he's not happy with Roy Moore and he's not happy with Doug Jones, so he wants to prevent, uh, present a third alternative. So, By the way, when he was asked about it, someone said, um, well, it's too late for you to, to get yeah. into the race. And he said, quote, hold my beer. We'll <laughs> see about that. 
that's how he ended the race. Uh, and uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said yesterday that as for Donald Trump going down to campaign for Roy Moore, uh, she remember Donald Trump last week and they, they raised the possibility he might do that. In fact, even when he endorsed Luther Strange, this was all before all the sexual uh, assault charges came out, uh, Donald Trump said when he went down there for Luther Strange that if Luther doesn't win, I'll come down and support the Republican who does. Yesterday, Sarah Huckabee Sanders saying, uh, I don't think we're going to have time for that. The president is not planning uh, any trip to Alabama at this time. Uh, and h- frankly, his schedule doesn't permit him doing anything between now and Election Day. You know what? I think that means that if they thought there was a chance Roy Moore was going to win, he'd be down there campaigning for him. Yeah. I really What's do. on his schedule, by the way? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cable What's, news? You know what? Right. Golf. Yeah. Golf and cable news. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a that's a BS uh, response. If if in fact um I talked to one White House reporter yesterday who told me that that I, privately what they're saying is if if it looks close right, he'll go down to try to help Roy Moore. So they must they must uh, think that the chances aren't too aren't too good down there. There's so much sad in that statement. Like there the is. fact that it would even be close is For, sad. The fact that Trump would go down there is sad. It's just this is the Republican Party these days. It is indeed. Uh, and one final note on the Roy Moore situation: um, the Washington Post reporting this morning uh, that its reporters uh, there is a, a talk about a scam. This. Uh, Remember the old guy Victoria? I mean, I'm sorry, James O'Keefe, oh, who has yeah. this. But by, by the way, this is fake news. Yeah. Total fake news operation called Project Veritas. They're the ones who put together this this phony video. What's the name of that organization that they destroyed? Acorn. 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 Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and then the um, woman from Shirley the Department Chirag. of Agriculture, right, who lost her job yeah. over a fake video. They're still at it. Uh, and so they uh, attempted a little mischief here. They went and they sent a fake news woman uh, to the Washington Post trying to plant a false story about Roy Moore. She, they, Their goal was to get the Washington Post to report a fake news story, and then they were going to expose the Washington Post as fake news. So they sent this woman in with a story that she was impregnated by Roy Moore uh, when she was a teenager, yet another teenager, yet another, and uh, tried to get the Washington tried to get the Washington Post to uh, to uh, report the story, and the Washington Post smelled a rat from the beginning. Uh, they said kept asking her about what's your agenda, who are you associated with. She said nobody, nobody, nobody. Uh, and then, by the way, while she was talking with them, and they talked to her several times. She kept asking, do you think my story will hurt Roy Moore's chances? Do you think this will help defeat Roy Moore in Alabama? So, of course, they're suspicious about this woman. And then they kind of um, followed her around, and a Washington Post reporter spotted her walking into the offices of Project Veritas in New York City. Busted. Yeah. You know, James, you know what I got to say? First of all, good for the Washington Post for investigative reporting they've done over the last year. They have been tremendous. Yeah, David Farenholt yeah. leading the packs, Pulitzer Prize winner, has been in the studio with us. But good for them for spotting a fake story and standing up and refusing to report it. Yeah.
I mean, it, it's th- this whole James O'Keefe thing. It, it's he, he's been a thorn in the side of of real news for a long, long time. And not only that, he has a long history of just sort of screwing himself over. Yeah, by trying to do these. But you're right. I mean. For all the calls of fake news, fake news CNN, the mm-hmm. Amazon Washington Post that yeah. the Trump calls it, like they know what they're doing. Damn they're right. not just going to take a story Damn and right. just run with it just because no. you should up. And no. by the what? way, the fact that they are tr- using a, a plant to try and discredit victims of sexual assault, victims of, excuse me, pedophilia. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Like- but and, this is a guy who has the endorsement. Uh, I mean, people have gone on to say what a great guy he is. James O'Keefe, like Ted Cruz, Donald Trump has called him out specifically. Lots of Republicans have lined up to talk about what a great guy yeah. James O'Keefe is and what good, honest reporting he's yeah, doing. He is I, a phony. I'd like to add and, one more thing. This is related to Roy Moore. So Roy Moore had a uh, campaign appearance last night. And I before I went to bed, I saw some pictures of Roy Moore's campaign staff getting into a scuffle with photographers. Uh-huh. <laughs> this was a, an event that media were credentialed for. So they were able to, they, they should have been able to attend this without any issues. Uh, now I'm seeing this morning headline on foxnews.com, the reporters, or excuse me, the photographers that they got into a scuffle with, headline, Roy Moore campaign st- staff push, shove, Fox News camera crew (laughs) at rally. (laughs) Things are getting ugly down there in Alabama. Oh, yeah. Things are getting ugly down there. Right. Um, But (laughs) but I'll tell you, the the thing that that this James O'Keefe thing does, it reaffirms how solid the Washington Post reporting was on the first allegations against Roy Moore. In other words, they made sure that they were absolutely, totally valid before they reported them. And- it's worth pointing out that nobody, nobody has been able to dispute any of the facts that those women reported in the Washington Post first came up with. And there were four initially. Now there are nine. None of their stories have been proven. Uh, anything wrong with them, right? Nothing at all. They are absolutely telling the truth, no matter what Jerry Falwell says. Uh, yes. Now what is happening to Protection Finance Bureau? Who is in charge and who's got the authority to appoint the new director? We'll get into that after a quick break here. Hang in there. We'll be right back on The Bill Press Show. We've been crisscrossing the state. We've been out there. We've been talking to the media. We've been talking to voters. We've been everywhere. You know, Roy Moore stays in hiding uh, and only talking to his small groups. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say? We are back here. The Bill Press Show. Great to see you. Great to have you with us today as we romp our way through the big headlines of the day. From our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., joining you all across this uh, great land of ours. Uh, And those of you who are uh, watching either on uh, YouTube or on Free Speech TV. Uh, notice that uh, Lucky Me Today 
Uh, I get to wear another beautiful scarf, uh, a hand-woven Carol Press scarf. Uh, I'm not sure this matches the purple sweater I've got on, but it's a beautiful <laughs> scarf. I just grabbed this one off the shelf, so if it clashes, it's not Carol's fault. It's it's mine. But the scarf, no less beautiful. This is a rayon chenille. She makes them rayon chenille. Each one hand-woven, each one an individual work of art, either rayon chenille or bamboo. or, or bamboo. Uh, and uh, check them out yourself, all the various colors and designs. Now it's a good time to uh, give yourself a special present for the holidays or looking for something for someone you love, uh, a hand-woven Carol Press scarf. Go to our website, BillPressShow.com, and follow the link to Carol Press Scarves, and you are in business. Yes, indeed. A confusing day at the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau yesterday, to say the least. You're working there, and two people show up and say, I'm your boss, and one of them has a bag of donuts. So what do you do? Um, well, Victoria Guida uh, covers these issues for, she's the finance, financial services reporter for Politico, is going to sort it all out for us. Hi, Victoria. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Thank you for coming in. This uh, issue came up at the um, White House press briefing uh, yesterday with Press Secretary uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, and she said there's no doubt uh, who's in charge. Director Mulvaney has uh, taken uh, charge of that agency, and he has the full cooperation of the the staff and uh, appeared there this morning, and things went very well. Hmm. Does he have the full cooperation of the staff? Did things go very well? What's your take? <laughs> well, um, he he had uh, a, a meeting with senior staff, and it seemed like a, a you know at least a fair number of the senior staff showed up. Um, he was in the director's office reading briefing books, so there wasn't any you know hand to hand combat here. But uh, definitely, there is a huge question mark around whether Director Mulvaney really is the rightful acting director. Um, the outgoing director. Richard Cordray appointed a deputy director right before leaving, and so Leandra English, Leandra right. English, exactly, and so um, she's she's currently suing Mulvaney. Um, now, did she show up yesterday? So she did show up in the building uh, in the morning. I have heard, but she spent most of the day not in the building. She was up on the hill um, meeting with a lot of a lot of Democrats. She she. Uh, she had a, a public press conference with uh, Senators Warren and Schumer. Okay. So um, I haven't read the bill. I haven't read the act, right, that, the, the Dodd-Frank whole thing in its entirety, which is the legislation that created the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. What does it say about the successor or a vacancy or who gets to appoint the, the head of it? Barack Obama appointed Richard Cordray. Correct. Correct. And and, I, and he was confirmed by the Senate. Confirmed by the Senate, because I remember we were all pushing for at the time a lot of us for Elizabeth Warren because it was her idea. She should be the first director. She had bigger fish to fry, apparently. Uh, well, Barack Obama <laughs> did us all a favor. It yeah, turns right, out, right? right because right. now I think she now she's now a United States senator from Massachusetts. But if he appointed Richard Cordray, why doesn't Donald Trump get to appoint uh, the new director? Right. So Donald Trump definitely unequivocally has the power to nominate someone to lead the CFPB who would then be confirmed by the Senate. Um, he's actually not nominated anyone for that position yet. Uh-huh. This is a question about the acting director in the meantime, since Richard Cordray has now left. 
So the Dodd-Frank Act says um, that in the absence or unavailability of the director, um, the deputy director shall become acting director. Shall. Shall. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the problem. <laughs> there is another law called the Federal Vacancies Reform Act, which says that the president can appoint somebody to head an executive agency on an acting basis as long as that person has been confirmed by the Senate to a different position, which is why he picked Mick Mulvaney, because he was confirmed by the Senate to be budget director. Got it. Um, <laughs> so this raises a whole lot of questions. Um, it, it it seems like at first blush that both of the laws are um, legal ground on which to stand. So the problem is neither law actually says which supersedes the other. Um, you know, there are some people that say, you know, it's unconstitutional for a for Congress to take away the ability for the president to appoint someone mm-hmm. on an acting mm-hmm. basis. But then, you know, someone like Barney Frank, who was obviously one of the uh, mm-hmm. one of the authors Frank. of Dodd Frank, he's the Frank. Um, he said that you know this was part of how they designed CFPB because it's an independent agency and they wanted to give it as much buffer as possible. Um, so it's a mess. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, has it, how, how soon will it go to court? So they actually already had a, a, a preliminary hearing on it yesterday. Um, but it's, it's unclear how quickly this is actually going to be resolved in court. Um, you know, these types of cases can take a very long time. So, um, in the meantime, you know, the Justice Department did issue an opinion saying that um, Director Mulvaney was the, the rightful director mm-hmm. um, because basically they agreed that under Dodd-Frank, it, it, it would be Leandra Ingra- English um, if the president didn't say anything. But because the president had acted, they, they argue that that supersedes English's claim. Um, so, you know, that holds some weight for now in, in courts. They don't have to take that into account. But... Um, why did Cordray suddenly resign? So he had um, – people had actually been expecting him to resign for a while because, um, you know, the, the expectation is that he's going to run as governor of, of Ohio. Oh. Um, it's unclear whether that's ever actually going to happen. People have been waiting months for it to happen. It probably will happen. Um <laughs> Mm-hmm. But he has not made his intentions clear yet. But um, his his term actually wasn't up till July. Mm. He announced a couple of weeks ago that he planned to resign at the end of the month. And then on Friday, he sped up that timeline and said, actually, I'm leaving at midnight. So, um, you know, I, I, I guess it was sort of a dramatic flare where he was <laughs> trying to trying to prevent the administration from from heading off his decision to appoint Leandra English as sort of his acting successor. Uh, so it's been around, what, about five years now or... Yeah, exactly. It was it was formed in, in around 2011, um, mm-hmm. and Cordray was confirmed. He wasn't confirmed till like late 2012 or early 2013. Right. So we know what uh, Republicans think about this agency. I mean, for them, it's just more government regulation or more bad news for big business or for the big financial corporations. Nobody being a bigger, better, worse critic, uh, a more outspoken critic, I guess, of the agency than the man. That Donald Trump has put in to head it, Mick Mulvaney, back in 2014, um, uh, talking to some credit bureau somewhere, Mick Mulvaney made clear what he thinks about it. It's it's a wonderful example of how a bureaucracy will function 
if it has no accountability to anybody. Um, it turns up being a joke, and that's what the CFPB really has been in a, in a, in a, in a sick, sad kind of way, because you've got an institution that has tremendous authority over what y'all do for a living. So it's a sick, sad joke. This is a, this is a Trump pattern. Take the biggest critic of an agency and like Scott Pruitt at EPA and put him or her, Betsy DeVos at Education, in charge of that agency, right? Yeah, um, although it is interesting because uh, on the financial regulatory side, uh, his picks haven't been quite as in that vein. And so I think it really speaks to how much the Republicans hate the CFPB that he did pick that kind of person. Yeah, right. He picked uh, a Gary Cohn and Steve Mnuchin over the financial, right? Right, right. Right from Wall Street. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, couldn't couldn't Wall Street couldn't have been more, more happier. But I guess my question: so, what in the last five years has the CFPB accomplished anything? Um, well, they would definitely say they have. Um, they have returned about twelve billion dollars to nearly thirty million customers. Um, they, I mean, so part of the reason why. But I mean, these are people who had been overcharged by banks, or right, exactly. You know, all all manner of different kinds of financial That's institutions. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah, well, and 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 the reason why the CFPB was formed was because it was it was felt that the other financial mm-hmm. regulators, you know, the Fed, the SEC, um, mm-hmm. all of these other, you oh, know, yeah. financial regulators that had jurisdiction over consumer protection, because they had other things to worry about. Also, they basically. Um, didn't really pay attention to consumer protection. So people thought that it was a good idea to consolidate that and create an agency that would focus only on that. Um, and and it's definitely upped the focus on consumer protection, um, which, you know, I, I, I think that I would hope that anyone would argue that, you know, um, upping consumer protection is a good thing. Um, I think that where Republicans tend to take issue um, is that they feel like, the agency has governed by sort of enforcement rather than rulemaking. And so financial institutions don't necessarily know where they will and won't, won't run afoul of the CFPB. I know they've done a lot of stuff in terms of making uh, making it easier for more consumer friendly, right, for fi- fi- right. getting loans or getting mortgages or whatever. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. They, they want to make sure that, um, you know, people who get mortgages have the ability or people who get loans have the ability to repay the loans. Um, They put out a rule uh, just a couple of months ago. They finalized a rule that would uh, basically make it a lot harder for payday lenders to um, operate in general. Mm -hmm. Um, There was another rule that the CFPB finalized that Congress actually overturned. And the point of that rule was to ban financial institutions from um, basically requiring people to give up their right to to bring a class action lawsuit. And wasn't it the CFPB that took the lead in uh, cracking down on Wells Fargo when they were uh, uh, reporting their phony Right, phony, yeah, yeah, it was phony it was, accounts or forming phony accounts and yeah, yeah, exactly. It was it was the CFPB along with um, another regulator in the LA City Attorney's office and CFPB um, fined Wells Fargo 100 million dollars for that. Yeah. So they've got a pretty good track record for consumer protection. Uh, Mulvaney yesterday, his first act was to put in a hiring freeze at the CFPB. Right, and a regulation freeze. <laughs> and a regulation freeze. But, yeah, okay. So no doubt about where 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 going. So uh, is there anything, is the issue of Mulvaney, he kind of has a day job already? Like the Office of Management and Budget, when we're facing a government shutdown, potentially on December 8th, 
And when Congress is considering the largest tax cut bill or a large tax cut bill, I don't want to say it's the largest ever, I mean, that's normally where the director of the OMB is 24-7, right? Right, right. Well, and I, Especially I, now. How can he take on another full-time job? Well, I think at a practical level, the way that this will play out, um, I mean- Is you, you shut know, this, down one of them, and so you only have one job. Right. Well, <laughs> exactly. That's, that's what I was thinking. Right. Yeah. Like, right. Right. He he could do that. I mean, so I I think that what he might do is sort of uh, bring somebody in to kind of run it while he's sort of ab- an absentee director and have somebody who comes in and manages it day to day. But it it does bring up all sorts of awkward questions because the CFPB is supposed to be an independent regulator, and so um, you know it. it it's it's a little bit of awkward optics. It will be interesting to see how this part plays out as well, that you know, you basically have someone running the CFPB who right. reports to the president. Well, help me out here. Is there any federal agency that, part of the executive branch, that the president does not name the head of? Um, no. I mean, so they... So I, I he, think it's going to be a hard... My heart is with... Leander English, but I think it's a hard case to make that the president, even the Fed, and I want to ask about the Fed next, even the Fed, which is an independent agency, and the term is mm-hmm. lasts forever, right? The pre- uh, Not forever, but obviously not forever. But the president can't just summarily fire the head of the Fed for no reason whatsoever. Exactly. Yeah. It's got to come at the end of the term or something that was really out, you know. Really, right? Criminal well, conduct, I guess. One of the things that makes the CFPB relatively unusual, although there are a couple of somewhat similar agencies, is that it's run by a single director, whereas something like the Fed or the SEC or you know the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, the, uh, those agencies are run by commissions and boards, mm-hmm. um, and so there's sort of multiple people that can weigh in on an acting decision. Yeah. Um, so the fact that the CFPB has a single director makes the question a little bit stranger. Uh-huh. Okay. So what's happening with the Fed? We, uh, President Trump has made it clear he, he wants a new head of the Fed, right? And right. And we know who it's going to be. Right. Exactly. So um, the president has nominated Jerome Powell, who is actually a current member of the Fed board. Mm-hmm. Um, he was nominated by President Barack Obama, but he's a Republican um, so he's sort of, you know, like a, a Republican twist on, on Janet Yellen. Um, although he's not an economist, he's he's a lawyer by trade um, and also an investment banker. So um, he has his nomination hearing today before the Senate Banking Committee. Um, that's not expected to be overly controversial because he is a Republican and he was nominated by President Obama. So a and lot of Democrats have voted for him already. Right. Would he have been confirmed then already? As a member of the Fed, did he have to be confirmed by the Senate? Yeah, he had to be confirmed twice, actually, um, because he – it's – Fed board members have 14-year terms, but um, they often leave early, and when someone is nominated, they finish Mm. out someone else's term. So when he he was initially nominated, um, he was confirmed in 2012, but then that term ran out in two years. And then in 2014, he was confirmed for another 14-year term. The term of the chair is what, six years or – the chair is four years. Four years. Um, but but Janet Yellen's board term was was fourteen years, so she actually could have stayed until twenty twenty four. But she's mm-hmm. uh, 
She said she's leaving. Uh, so what's Donald Trump's beef with Janet Yellen? And is Jerome Powell um, so different in his uh, financial policies? Well, uh, ironically, we <laughs> ironically, he doesn't really seem to have much of a beef with Janet Yellen. And the reason I say ironically is that um, during the campaign, yeah. he criticized her pretty, yeah. pretty stridently. Um, but since the election, he's been very complimentary of her, said he respects her. I look, the economy is doing great, continued to do great. It was doing great under Obama, continued to do great. The market's doing great. It seems that the, the Fed has um, kind of kept its policy, a, a steady hand, right, and inter- with interest rates and everything. I, 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 that's what I'm looking for is what's wrong with Janet Yellen? Well, I mean, so the the president basically said that he wants I to make his wrong. own Barack Obama <laughs> appointed her. Right. That's I mean, that's, that's basically what he said is that he wants to make his own um, mark on the Fed. I mean, you know, Powell also is probably slightly more um, sympathetic to some of the, the calls for easing rules on banks um, than Janet Yellen. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know whether that that's whether he's considerably more so than her. Um, and on monetary policy, he's voted with her on every single decision since he's been there. So, um, Although board members don't typically dissent from the chair. Yeah, but so you don't, wouldn't expect that much of a change there, I guess, right? Right, which was, I, I believe, the point. They wanted to have some level of continuity because uh, markets, markets like having familiar, familiarity. Uh, does that mean then that there would be an opening on the board for the president to appoint a new member of the board? Yes. So there's actually multiple openings. Um, so there were already three openings and Janet Yellen leaving uh, makes a fourth. So there are supposed to be seven board members, um, mm-hmm. but there have been five for a while. And now we're down to four. So um, when Janet Yellen leaves, if they don't get someone in there before she leaves, it'll be the first time the Fed is down to three. Uh, so mm. I, you know, they, the vice chair, Stanley Fisher, he left early um, in October and the c- Congress moved quickly on the only person that Trump has nominated so far to the Fed, who's a guy named Randall Quarles, who's now there in the Fed. So I, it, it seems like the administration does and Congress does care about, you know, the Fed not dwindling too much. So um, you might see someone else move um, or, or a couple people move in the next couple of months here. But, you know, Congress has not really acted very fast and the president has not really acted very fast yeah, to nominate right. people for a lot of these uh, sort of key financial positions. Yeah. Interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, and again, for the cons- back to the con- uh, Consumer Finance Protection Bureau for for a second, the New York Times uh, lead article above the fold this morning, two acting directors and one skeptical judge. So she say the hearing was yesterday. And apparently the judge who's got this case, who was appointed by Donald Trump, mm-hmm. I believe, right, said, raised this question that I did about how can you have one guy with two jobs, right? Right. And, uh, and, and what's the legal framework for challenging the president's ability to name the head of the bureau? Right, right. Well, and it's you know maybe maybe because they're thinking out loud here, but maybe uh, with Barney Frank and Chris Dodd, you know, they didn't write the law clearly, clear enough to keep it an independent person, so that this something like this couldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and right. as 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 you've mentioned, I mean, this agency's only been around for 
yeah. five, six years. So this is its first transition. Um, mm-hmm. So what happens here will help, you know, set the tone for, for what this agency looks like for, from here on out, basically. Um, because, you know, it's it's ultimately it doesn't it's unclear what the CFPB is separate from the Democrats right now because it's only existed under the Democrats. Right. Right. And I mean, I hate, you can't be too critical and say, well, they should have foreseen that someday there would be a director resign and a president try to appoint somebody and, you know, da, 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 da. nobody could have foreseen something like this happening. Oh, yeah. This, this scenario is crazy. <laughs> and how are the donuts? <laughs> <laughs> That's win my heart over, baby. Show up with a bag of donuts. <laughs> Hey, Victoria, it's nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Follow Victoria Guida at politico.com. Of course, we'll be right back. Hour number two. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, another demeaning comment, another personal insult, another racial slur. Just your typical day for Donald Trump. Hello, everybody. On a Tuesday, uh, November 28. Here we go. The Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill, right in the heart of the action, with the Senate Budget Committee today getting its whack at the uh, tax cut bill. Came Went through the uh, Senate Finance Committee last week. They got to get it through the Budget Committee, which will be pro forma today, uh, with every Republican voting for it. And then it goes to the Senate floor Uh, where there are still some nine senators who, for various reasons, don't like the bill, but none of them are sure no vote against it. If they lose uh, three of the nine, uh, that bill is dead, as much as I'd like to see it die, because uh, I don't think the biggest corporations and the wealthiest people in America need a tax cut. The middle class do. They don't get one under this uh, this proposed legislation, but you can um, probably expect uh, that something, something in some form is going to get out of the Senate and to the president's desk before the end of the year, and then they'll have to defend it next year in the 2018 elections. That's just one of the issues we're following today. Uh, ben Wickler will be here from uh, MoveOn, MoveOn.org, to tell us what's wrong with this tax. Oh, <coughs> All the things that are wrong with this tax cut bill. We only have like half an hour to discuss it. That's true. So we're going to have to get right to it. But first. 
Yeah. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, leaks, leaks, leaks continue oh. to plague the White House. We love leaks. How are they going to fix these leaks? Well, according to Bloomberg Politics, they say that they are going to take away personal cell phones. Hell yeah. And, and oh, say yeah. that they can't use them at work. Again, Bloomberg Politics has talked to seven administration officials who confirmed that that is something that is being kicked around the White House. Now, they have raised concerns, some of the staffers, saying that they'll be cut off from fam- from family and friends while they're at work. I mean, parents might have some Right. About That's what I was thinking about. I mean, you go to work, you're there for, let's say, eight hours a day. And I think if you work in the White yeah, House, you yeah, often work yeah. longer than eight hours a day, not to mention the whole checking in process. Like, Also, it's like, school nurse, if you need to reach me, call the White House switchboard. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm a White House employee, I resort to walkie-talkies. <laughs> yeah. We're going to take yeah, away exactly. my cell phones. It's, it, like, we're going we're gonna to talk. It's going to happen. This will not work. No, I don't think it's going to work. If they do it, leakers will find a way to leak. Leakers going to leak. Uh, it, How this, about the parking garage? Maybe, you know, where you, yeah, right. where you meet the guy. The parking garage of the Watergate Hotel or whatever yeah. it was. Mysterious right? smoke <laughs> signals seen over White House. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite times of the year because as we enter the end of the year, we get all these end of year lists. Well, Dictionary.com <laughs> kicked it off yesterday. They announced their word of the year. The word of the year is complicit. <laughs> complicit is the word of the year, which obviously has a lot of ties to Donald Trump and what he's trying to get away with. But they point out that one of the reasons that it, it was such a big word for them is because of Ivanka, Ivanka Trump and her misuse of it. Yes. Because she tweeted out once that there was a, a, a photo and she talked about how she was happy to be complicit in Trump's agenda. <laughs> she thought it was a good thing. And people had to point out, like, uh, now, for those of you who don't know, complicit at dictionary.com is defined as choosing to be involved in an illegal or questionable act. Right. Not that it matters, but where does she go to school? I don't know. She went to Wharton undergrad just like Okay, dad. yeah, but, you, of course. But, you know... SNL also did a skit yeah. where she had a brand of perfume that, uh, as part of her line of products. And the name of the perfume was Complicit. <laughs> On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Yep, you got it. Uh, Another personal attack, another demeaning comment, another racial slur. All in the day of Donald Trump. Almost every day for Donald Trump is just like that. And he proved it again yesterday. Hello, everybody. And welcome to our number two here of The Bill Press Show on this Tuesday, November 28th. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good to see you on Free Speech TV today, and great to join you on the greater Chicago area on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. And this is the day when uh, the second vote will take place on what is uh, <clears throat> uh, been cobbled together as the Republican tax cut bill in the Senate. It's in front of the Senate Budget Committee yesterday. 
Of course, no public hearings, no chance for uh, um, most people to find out what's in the bill or to express any support or uh, lack of support for the legislation. They're trying to rush it through uh, in the Senate, get it back to the House for Conference Committee, and out before the end of the year to the president's desk. But moveon.org is there to stop it. In the part of Ben Wickler, who single-handedly stopped the repeal of Obamacare (laughs) from happening, and now he's going to stop this tax cut from happening. Hello, Ben. Hello. You got a big job. I well, I have to confess. Good to see you. I may no, it's good to good see you to too. See you. I may look like a single-handed person, but if you've ever read the children's book Swimmy, where all these little fish swim together and are more powerful than the sharks when they all go together, that is how we stopped the healthcare bill. So Millions you of did. people Those, standing up uh, yeah, and fighting. And a lot of them were with you standing outside the Senate. In That's the true. Middle of the night, I remember that was. That's great. true. Yeah, that that, no. that that critical night when Skitty repeal failed, we were outside the Capitol chanting and uh, protesting, and we were hearing senators were coming out and telling us that they could hear us inside the Capitol <laughs> as that. we were chanting. So it was that. like, you know, if you're if you ever wonder whether your voice is heard, sometimes it really, really is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> literally. literally is. Yeah. Okay. But this, so, what's your take yeah. on this tax cut, Bill? I mean, if you hear, let's hear him again. Donald Trump yesterday. At the White House, making the big brag that this everybody's going to be thankful for this tax cut. Actually, I think it's going to benefit everybody. Uh, it's going to mostly benefit people looking for jobs more than anything else because we're giving great incentives. What's, no, yeah, what's no, 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 no. So this is the Leave No Billionaire Behind Act. <laughs> <laughs> Who's thinking about the billionaires, Ben? <laughs> exactly, the forgotten man. Yes, that's yeah, right. right. You know, and Betsy DeVos, forgotten women. That's right. So one, uh, one education uh, expert called this the Betsy DeVos tax cut because mm-hmm. it simultaneously massively, you know, like hundreds of millions of dollars cuts taxes for Betsy DeVos's heirs. And at the same time, by ending the deduction for state and local taxes, it creates this gigantic pressure on school budgets because states and cities who pay of for course. schools for their taxes, yeah, right. suddenly those taxes are going to be you know, 30 40% more expensive for people to pay. So Al, I've heard Alec is already planning to go on a scorched earth campaign to try to cut state and local taxes, which will like half of which go to fund schools. So one estimate is $370 billion in school funding is at risk if this tax cut goes through for the rich. This is it's really it's just like a a accelerating oligarchy plan. It takes it raises taxes for eighty seven million families, middle class people, working class people. The newest analysis says that uh, right away, the average person under earning thirty thousand or under gets a tax increase. After a few years, everyone or the average person under forty thousand gets a tax increase, and by twenty twenty six. The average person earning $75,000 or under gets a tax increase. So it's taking money from working and middle-class people and shoveling it into the pockets of the ultra-wealthy. If you're a, a billionaire, you stand to make hundreds of millions of dollars, depending on which version of this gets through with the, with the, with the um, estate tax repeal. Not only that, there's this all these giant loopholes that seem to be custom-made for Donald Trump himself. Right, right. This is, they, you know, they eliminate... All these different uh, tax deductions that middle class people rely on, but they keep the one for owners of golf courses for some reason. <laughs> that's that's still there. Uh, they Who owns also, golf courses. Uh, uh, hmm. Get rid of the estate tax. They get rid of the estate tax. So this the Thank House version eliminates it entirely. This the Senate version doubles the exemption to eleven million dollars, which you know I'm sure a lot of us have been 
wishing, wishing yeah. that the exemption was higher than five and a half million. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, and, you know, we don't know which version they'll end up with. And the alternative minimum tax, which uh, we know cost Donald Trump $35 million one That's year. Right. That's the main yeah. – because he dodged taxes in so many other ways, the alternative minimum tax is the main way he pays taxes. That's gone. And uh, there's also this big tax cut for owners of pass-through entities. Now, they say this is the tax cut for small businesses. But, in fact, a lot of very big businesses are pass-through entities, like, say, the Trump Organization – Mm-hmm. So this is now, there's actually a fight between Ron Johnson, who owns a multi-million dollar pass-through entity, a, a corporation that uh, his, his brother-in-law started and, and he bought from him. Uh, he wants a bigger tax cut for himself. So he's holding out and saying there's not enough tax cuts for small business. <laughs> Ron Johnson is, of course, a yeah. millionaire. Uh, and Trump seems very excited about that. He tweeted yesterday that there's going to be you know mathematical ways we can improve this tax cut. And, and it looks like... They'll make a last-minute change that benefits Trump personally, as well as the multimillionaires in the Senate who will personally get giant tax cuts because they're they're pushing harder for it. Uh, Paul Krugman in his excellent column this morning in the New York Times, calling it the biggest scam tax scam yes. ever, yes, um, makes a point that the people who mainly benefit from this legislation uh, proposal um, are people who really don't work for a living. I mean, there are people who have all these investments, right? And That's right. They're this not out there. The war on work. I mean, the, the fundamental yeah. thing yeah. in this bill, the thing everything is wrapped around is a giant permanent tax cut for corporations. Yeah. For big right. corporations. This, they cut taxes for corporations by, by 43%, from 35% to 20%, which is almost half. It's a giant giveaway. And when I say permanent, uh, someone asked me yesterday, like, what do you mean permanent? Can't they just change the law? Yeah, they, they in theory, you could change the law again. But what the Republicans are doing they know uh, that it's hard to raise taxes because Republicans vote against it every single time. And so what they've done is they've included a few little tax cuts for the middle class and working people that all expire after a few years. Right, right. After that, it's just tax increases for regular people because they change the way tax brackets are calculated. So over time, taxes on you know middle class families go up a little bit every year. And meanwhile, they have a permanent tax cut for corporations. So the, the way they're paying for that is by raising taxes on everyone else. That's step one. And step two is that this blows up the deficit by a trillion and a half dollars, which they will then try to pay for by cutting Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security. And they are already saying that. They're saying next year is the year of entitlement reform, which means cutting the social programs that, that middle and working class people rely on in this country. Right. Now, their response to the fact that the corporate tax cuts are permanent and the others are not is, well you can count on the fact that when it when that time comes where those taxes on individuals middle class would go up again the congress will step in and not allow that to happen in other words you can count on the future congresses never allowing your taxes to go up yeah i'm sure that's right uh no i mean a i mean that's such a phony it's argument it's such right? a phony argument trust me i'm from the government i'm here to help you right well it's also <laughs> points point point 2 they're making a huge deal about this deficit. Like, you know, they're, they're, their whole thing yeah. is whenever yeah. there's a Democrat in power, they get obsessed with deficits. So they're not going to... I mean, they know. were obsessed with the deficit. All through the Obama administration. Obsessed with Absolutely. the deficit during Obama. This they is what they came up with for. this pay... What was it? Paygo? Sequestration. Pay, the, uh, it, yeah, but I'm talking about yeah. the yeah. policy of pay. Yeah, yeah, Paygo. So this Paygo, is, right. Well, this you is, you is, could not add a dollar to the budget unless you took a dollar freezes, away. Yeah. We saw the sequestration. We saw all this stuff yeah. that just sort of, and that, that, yeah. that, that, that Obama went along with. But because 
it was a like there was a there was a deficit. So this is what they they uh, this is their plan. They grow the deficit and they use it to slash programs for regular people. They don't do it to give tax breaks to middle class people. They could do that right now if they wanted to do that. They're not doing that. Uh, something that people aren't really talking about is that under the PAYGO rule that you're referencing, that that Congress, you know, the Republican Congress <laughs> demanded under Obama. Yeah. Uh, if they pass the tax cut dollar bill, for dollar immediately. It locks in to, to place, unless Congress overrides it, these massive cuts. This bill, if, if Congress passed this tax cut bill and then didn't override the automatic cuts, it would mean $400 billion in cuts to Medicare over the next 10 years under these automatic budget, budget rules they're, they're, they're uh, working under. So Republicans demanded these rules that would automatically cut Medicare if the deficit increases. Then they're passing this giant tax cut. Then they're going to ask the Democrats to bail them out and undo the automatic cuts to Medicare. Right. This is, I mean... You ju- you know that they're going to come again next spring. I mean, they've they've said it over and over. They're going to try to attack these these programs next spring if they get this through right now. So this is make no mistake. This isn't just about whether your taxes go up or down by a couple hundred bucks, or if you're a billionaire, you know, a couple billion bucks. This is also about the bedrock programs that support the middle class in this country and keep seniors and kids out of poverty. All right. So Ben from Move on, move on, move on. org. You know him. Uh, helped lead the fight. Uh, here in Washington, led the fight against repeal of Obamacare and now leading the fight against this uh, Republican tax cut, tax scam bill. So I was on uh, HL Headline News yesterday with Steve Moore from Brookings Institute, who helped write this bill, who helped write the original tax plan that Trump had during the campaign. I thought, no, I'm sorry, not Brookings, uh, Heritage. 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 Thank you. Um, And Carol Costello pointed out the CBO numbers. What do you mean it's going to help everybody? Look, if you're under thirty-five thousand, you're going to pay more. Under seven, forty thousand, you're going yep. to pay more. And then Steve said, which I thought was a pretty candid on his part, maybe naive. He said, "Yeah, but you're missing the big point of the bill. The point of the bill <laughs> is to help big business he because said he said that because they're paying the highest taxes in the world today." It's hurting the U.S. economy. It's stifling competition. So we're the main purpose of this bill is to help the big corporations, which I thought was, as I say, very uh, candid, very, very frank. Yes, right. So I respond to. I say, yeah, but Steve, they don't. First of all, they're not paying the highest rate in the world today. It's they're not paying thirty five anywhere close to thirty five percent. Some of them are paying zero. The average is about twelve percent. And number two, they're sitting on the record corporate corporate profits today ever, 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 right? Yes. So why do they need a tax? <laughs> the, and the economy is booming. They're making more money than ever before. Why do they need a tax cut? Well, the economy is especially booming for big corporations. Uh, for, this uh, is like, that's this, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, this is, for, you know, for, for regular people, wages, wages no. are, eh. Yeah. For big corporations, they're earning record profits right now. And the irony of this, I mean, the, the stated justification that Republicans give for why they need to hand money to big corporations is so the corporations will invest more and create more jobs. And they had this right. event where, you know, Trump's top economic advisors looked at it at a big audience full of CEOs. And said, okay, how many people here would invest more mm-hmm. if we mm-hmm. gave you the tax cut? And like maybe one in 10 raised their hands. <laughs> yeah, and then Gary sure. Cohen, Trump's economic advisor, says, why aren't there more hands up? <laughs> it's because they already have tons of money. <laughs> That's not the issue. I mean, the real issue, if you're a company deciding whether to invest, it's not 
it's not your tax rate so much as it's is there demand for your product and the way you get demand for products is by having a thriving middle class if you want to grow this economy invest in the middle class don't take away one of the things this does is it takes away support for graduate students people going to graduate school is a really good idea for this country but right now uh so right now if you're a graduate student and your university says you know what you don't have to pay tuition like you know you're getting a tuition waiver. We're going to give you a small stipend so you can you know, focus on your, your studies and teaching. Uh, you don't have to pay taxes on the fact that you don't pay tuition. Republicans have a new plan where suddenly all the money that, that uh, the, the university is canceling out in tuition counts as taxable income for you. So if the t- tuition is $30,000, they waive the tuition. That counts as $30,000 in income even though you don't have a dollar of it. So suddenly you need to pay all these taxes, which means tons of people won't be able to go to graduate school. There's a, there's a walkout of graduate students across the country this Wednesday at 1 p.m. Hmm. organizing against this thing because it would just destroy higher education, which is like the engine of innovation in this country. This is it's the most short-sighted, ridiculous plan. It actually it it stomps on innovation. It stomps on middle class and working people who are actually the engine of the economy, who provide the demand that that gives companies reason to invest, and then. Sprinkles money on shareholders. And what, one last, well, I'm on this rant, and then I want yes. to say some ways to get involved in the fight. I, I want to get to that, too. But one-third of the corporate tax cuts go to foreign investors in U.S. companies. One-third, 35% of U.S. stocks are owned by international, like, you know, the Saudi princes and, mm-hmm. you know, wealthy people who do not live in the United States. So we are giving awesome a giant permanent tax cut to people who are not in the United States. Like, Beautiful. how yeah. is that America first? That yeah. was supposed to be Trump's slogan. What are we slogan, doing? Right? Yeah. What are we doing? But, but like, like, like to that point, this is going to ca- – I mean, if this does go through, and hopefully it does, and there are ways that we could fight it, which you're going to talk about, but if this does go through, they're going to have to answer for this at some point. I'm like, telling you. This will catch up with them. I made that point yesterday. They will rue – I believe yeah. they will rue the day they pass this tax cut. Yes. I mean, they're doing a good job of – Covering up what they're doing and not making it public, yeah. but yeah. like that's gonna come out at some point. Uh, that's right. When when the dust clears, people are gonna the the, the cuts, the the reality is gonna sink in as to how much this is gonna raise taxes oh, for most of, for is, most this, Americans. This bill has fifty two percent disapproval, twenty six percent approval. <laughs> There's twice right. as many people oppose this bill as support it. That is hard. Those are hard numbers okay. to hit with a bill that's supposedly a tax cut. Uh, someone has pointed out. So there, oh. this whole theory is. The whole bill is based on the theory, which is so wrong, that if we only give more money to the people at the top, then that's going to trickle down and they'll use that money to create jobs and raise wages for working class Americans. That's never happened. No, the opposite has happened. The opposite. And didn't they try this very thing in Kansas Yes, and have to rescind it because... It drove them into bankruptcy. Yes. I mean, can, within yeah. the last couple of years. Yes. In Kansas, Sam Brownback. The Republic, you know, hard right Republicans, like the ones in Congress, had total control. They did these gigantic tax cuts. And it was yeah. a, such a disaster. Schools had to go from five days a week to four days a week. They had to close highways because they couldn't maintain them. It was like the state really went into a meltdown. And this is one of the most Republican states in the country. Yes. Had yes. an uprising where moderate Republicans and Democrats took back power and raised taxes on everybody by popular yeah. demand because yeah. the government services were being so crushed like all right that yeah. that is an actual tax yeah. revolt and yeah. that they just want to bring that model nationally and that is why uh jerry moran senator from kansas is actually one of the undecided votes on this now hmm. which is extraordinary 
Right. I mean, he's a deep red okay. Republican. But this maybe this goes to the uh, well. Let's get right there. Back. So, how many votes do they have? Do they have the votes? And what can is there any way we can stop it? So, first of all, every Democrat is united in opposition to this tax scam. So that is great. That's at the beginning of of any fight. You don't know if that's going to be true. It is. So that means they they don't want Democratic votes, really, do they? I mean, they haven't done anything to get them. Uh, no, they they're, well, they're not willing to make a single concession to get them. Right. Uh, so there are 52 Republicans in the Senate. They need to have at least 50 of them vote for it. They can lose two. They cannot lose three. There are, depending on your count, about seven Republicans who are not committed to voting for this yet. So they are scrambling to line up the votes. The question is, which of the ones are going to fall off the fence? So there's uh, there's people like Steve Daines of Montana and Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Ron Johnson, I'm, I'm from Wisconsin. Ron Johnson is a, you know, multi-tens of millions of dollars there, uh, uh, business guy who wants to get a bigger tax cut for his type of company, um, he tends to hold out, hold out, and then cave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I expect the same I thing from count on him. I wouldn't count on him. Uh, then there's a number of Republicans who are saying they're actually really concerned about the deficit, and I would discount that based on past Republican behavior if it weren't for the fact that some of them, like Jeff Flake and Bob Corker, are not running for re-election and think that this administration's a travesty. So there's a chance that one of them could vote against this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lankford of Oklahoma is also saying he... he I wouldn't count on him either. I wouldn't count on him either. Yeah. Uh, Moran is saying that he's concerned about the deficit. He's also concerned about the effect on health care. Oh, <laughs> which we didn't even talk about. That's yes, right. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> the, according uh, to the CBO, 13, 13 million. million people lose their health insurance in this bill. Uh, and why is that? It's because Republicans realized they needed more money for corporate tax cuts, so they figured out a way to kick out one of the pillars of the Affordable Care Act and raise an extra $300 billion to hand to big corporations and foreign investors. So that is why they want to take 13 million people's health care away. That might be enough to get Lisa, excuse me, Susan Collins to vote against this thing. She is, you know, a, a stalwart actual maverick who voted against ACA repeal. She's expressing serious concerns. I think we have a really good shot at her vote although she says she's undecided. So if you're Mm -hmm. in Maine, make sure you give her a call. John McCain, once again on the fence. And this, in at least a big part, is about the process that they're using. Because although for a while he was saying, oh, this is regular process, I like it, although it's not, uh, he got a little upset the week before Thanksgiving because Republicans kept swapping in different versions of the bill to buy different senators off. And he said, this isn't regular order, this is ridiculous. And he said that he will not vote for it if there's not something that he deems regular order. So there might be other reasons why he would oppose it. There's certainly lots of reasons why he'd support it. He's quite conservative. Mm -hmm. But there's a chance that he'll vote against it. If we have Susan Collins and John McCain, then we just need one of these deficit hawks, one of these Bob Corkers or Jeff Blakes or, you know, Lankfords or Morans to vote against it. And that's enough. And right now, the, the Republicans don't think they have the votes. They're scrambling to get them. They're going to change the bill for sure. What we're seeing now is not the final legislation. And this is a jump ball. So this is a moment when pressure is absolutely crucial. And, you know, the thing I'm really excited about is that the level of intensity opposing this bill is is rocketing up this week. There are 400 protests planned across the country this week mm. against this bill Yeah, in all the key states, in key congressional districts. If this passes the Senate, they want to do this on Thursday, uh, Thursday, late Thursday night, probably, to, to get this bill through. If it passes through the Senate, then it has to go back to the House and either have a conference committee or pass the House as is. So even if it passes the Senate, the fight is still on, and we need to keep up the pressure on House districts. If you go to moveon.org slash GOP tax scam, 
moveon.org slash GOP tax scam. You can find protests near you. There are dozens of protests organized through MoveOn's website. There's also, if you go to OFA, that's Organizing for America, OFA.us, they've got a day of action today. There are protests across the country. And on Wednesday, if you are near a campus, there's probably a a walkout for you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So So. go to OFA, go to to, uh, MoveOn, and... You know, if you go to stop, stoptrumptaxcuts.org, uh, you will find a list of other events from a variety of different partners. Uh, there are big coalitions, pretty much every progressive group, any organization you're on their email list, they're probably involved in this fight because we recognize that if they fleece the public, if they ransack the treasury, they're next going to come for every program and every protection that, that benefits regular people. So this is a defense basically on every single imaginable front. Right. That we need to mount yeah. here. And even, like, I just want to reinforce, this is a long-shot fight. Republicans live to cut taxes for rich people. That is the point of being a Republican member of Congress. That's why God put them on Earth. That's why God put them on Earth. That's what they believe. Yes. But, but, our activism might be able to stop the bill and could certainly make the bill less horrible. And if we save $200 billion for public education, that is a huge victory. Mm-hmm. That is a giant victory. It is absolutely worth fighting every step of the way. If it passes the Senate, fight in the House. If it goes to conference committee, fight again in the Senate. They're going to have to pass it twice through, you know, through uh, through the chambers to get this thing through. This is something that is worth resisting every step of the way. And even if they pass the most horrible thing there is, all the fighting we do now will sear into the minds of the public that they did this, so that when it comes time for accountability and the next election, they will pay the price. They know who it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, you, it is an uphill battle, but this is it, 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 a lot. Of, it reminds me of the Obama Obamacare repeal battle, too, right? Yeah, but, uh, nobody believed that they could lose that right? because they had control <laughs> of the House and the Senate and the White House, right? Absolutely, and, and it wasn't decided until the very last minute. That's right? absolutely and right. And the same thing here. I mean, we do not know today that they've got. Mitch McConnell doesn't know today that he has the votes to get this thing through Thursday night. That's absolutely right. right? And it's and listen, here we are Tuesday morning. So what the hell? Right. You'd think that if they were going to do this, they'd have it. They have their act together yeah, by now. Yeah. We don't. Nobody right. knows what's going to be in the next version of the legislation. And the the rumor is that they're going to change it, even at the last second, right before the vote, potentially into something that they think will pass the House. So it could be that you they you know they introduce a final version of it two hours before the final vote, and suddenly they lose another couple of Republican senators. Like, I have to say, Mitch McConnell, he's good at saying no. He's good at obstructing. He's not very good at passing legislation. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. He's not very good at the job. Uh, well, and he's proven that this year. He's proven yeah. that this year. And the public uprising around the ACA, that was supposed to be doomed from the start. Everyone, right. everyone in Washington thought the ACA was yeah. going to be repealed. Yeah. And we won that fight. Yeah. So let's let's remember that as, when we go into this fight. Let's hit the streets. If you don't think this country should be run by and for the people at the very top, if you think it should be run by and for the people, hit the streets this week. Protest this bill. Call Congress every day. Let's shut this thing down. And you've, you've mentioned the senators who are real. I mean, this is a time for a senator, those who have been critical of Donald Trump, right, to really stand up and, 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 and put their – Walk the walk, not just talk the talk, right? Like a, for a Jeff Flake and a Bob Corker and a John McCain. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, why vote for policy that's going to gut the middle class, right? Gut Social Security, gut Medicare, 
It's it's it actually contradicts everything that Donald Trump talked about as a candidate. I know this is the irony. I was looking back at some Donald Trump quotes from the campaign. Yeah. He kept talking about how he was going to raise taxes on the rich. He, Wall Street guys he, are getting exactly. away with murder. There's there's one giant loophole called the carried interest loophole that hedge fund managers rely on to get this right. incredibly low yeah. tax rate. Yeah. And last year during the campaign, everyone said that the carried interest loophole was toast because Trump campaigned against it. Hillary Clinton campaigned against it. Bernie Sanders campaigned against it. Everyone agreed. There's no justification for giving this special treatment to the to the income of hedge fund managers. This tax bill leaves that wide open. <laughs> there's there's absolutely no effort to follow through on any of the promises. Anything vaguely resembling populism is gone. They are trying to get this bill through by just throwing handfuls of hundred dollar bills mm-hmm. at billionaires. Like this bill is a giant giveaway to the people who fund Republican politicians. At the expense of everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here we go. It's like Les Miserables. You're right there on the front lines in this battle here uh, with Ben Wickler uh, leading the charge from MoveOn, MoveOn.org. I want to be sure I got it right. MoveOn.org slash GOP tax scam. That's right. MoveOn.org slash GOP tax scam. That's the place to go. Yes. Um, more and more women coming forward to talk about sexual harassment, their experience serving, uh, working in the United States Congress. We're going to talk to one of those women right here in studio. Melanie Sloan joins us next on The Bill Press Show. Stay tuned. Cut, cut, cut. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. show new great channel stream live video at youtube.com slash the bill press show here we go you make it a tuesday uh, november 28th and here we are on the bill press show from washington dc we're booming out to you and joining you wherever you are in this great land of ours coast to coast uh, of course online on television uh free speech tv and on the radio uh, with all the news of the day, and yes, those of you who are watching on YouTube or on Free Speech TV can see that I'm wearing a beautiful handwoven scarf today. Handwoven, uh, each one of them handwoven by my wife, Carol Press, the real talent in the and the only talent in the family. Um, and uh, this one is Rayon Chenille. She also makes them in bamboo. Uh, they're fabulous. Um, many, many different designs and colors to choose from. Uh, so uh, you can be as good-looking as I am, uh, wear as good-looking clothing as I do here by going to our website, BillPressShow.com. Click on the link to the Carol Press Scarves and do yourself a favor. Get yourself a hand-woven scarf for the holiday season or for someone you love. Again, BillPressShow.com. Click on the link to Holiday Scarves. There have been there, the headline this morning um, from this is from DetroitNews.com that a second ex-staffer has come forward by name to accuse Congressman John Conyers of sexual harassment. Uh, She is the second. uh, The first person to do so is a former staffer, Melanie Sloan, uh, who joins us in studio. Hi, Melanie. Melanie, we all know uh, as former executive director of a great organization called Crew, uh, now senior advisor to another a uh, great watch, government watchdog organization called American Oversight, 
and the founder of uh, her own firm called Summer Strategies and a former Conyers staffer. Hi, Melanie. Hi, Bill. Nice Anyhow, to be with you. Thanks for coming in. Uh, how widespread, you worked on the Hill for what, three years? I worked on the Hill for five years. Five years. How widespread is the practice of sexual harassment uh, in the Capitol? Incredibly widespread. I think that this problem is unbelievably common, and I think it's largely because of uh, two things. First, members of Congress treat their offices like their own little fiefdoms. There are no outside rules. It's not like a corporation where there's an overseeing HR department. Each mm -hmm. member of Congress runs their office and their staff the way they want to. And secondly, um, everybody knows that when you work in Congress, loyalty is valued above all things. And if you are ever to go public with any of the bad things that a member does, you may never get another job in Washington, uh, both not on the Hill, certainly, and not in any of the associated industries. It's just seen as not done. It's one of those things that you just suck it up, whatever it is, and everybody will know about it. They'll know, oh, wow, you worked in that office. That's really a rough place. Um, but the silence is just part of the deal. It's like a mafia thing. <laughs> it's a, you know, all these stories that we get every election cycle uh, or in recent election cycles about how many women are now taking office, how many women have been elected. Like we look at that and we say oh, that's that's great, but the real underlying story here is that the United States Congress has been a boys club for a long, long time, and like it, it, nobody really cared about their behavior. I mean, you know, people like crew watch and make sure that they're not doing you know unethical things, but like they get away with a lot of stuff up there, huge amounts of things, and it's again the it's the culture of secrecy yeah. is really the the main reason. Um, so. I think that we're going to hear so many more stories like this. I think the Conyers allegations, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see more allegations against Congressman Conyers. But I also would expect at some point the dam to break and we'll start hearing about many, many other members offices. I know reporters are working on this all the time now looking for people. So this happened um, a few years ago. Why did you decide to come forward now? Well, first, let me just say that at the time, so this was all in the in the 90s, so it is 20 years ago. It's a very long time ago. But I did try to talk to people about it at the time. Um, and I went to uh, hmm. both my supervisor, who tried to talk to Conyers about it. I went to um, uh, a top staffer for then minority leader Richard Gephardt and tried to get help. I talked to a women's group. I tried to get help. And I even talked to a reporter at the time. And then the reporter uh, sought to corroborate my story by talking to another Conyers staffer who told him, the reporter, that I was mentally unstable. And so even though I had worked with this reporter many times on crime policy matters, which was my specialty, the, the reporter said, well, this other person says you're mentally unstable, so I can't really do anything with that. And I, I can't actually tell you how devastating it was to have this person I worked with, uh, this reporter, suddenly say, maybe well, you're mentally unstable. Oh, my God. Before, oh, my God. So before you answer that question about why you decided to come forward now, tell us what happened. Um, so a bunch of things happened. First, uh, let me just say it was uh, it was initially a great honor for me to go to work for Congressman Conyers. He is the civil rights icon. And I was thrilled to be there and working on uh, race and crime policy were uh, issues that I cared about hugely. And I uh, loved I loved being there. And for a while it was fine. But Congressman Conyers became increasingly abusive to me over time. Um, there was uh, one time I also worked on a lot of violence against women issues. There was a time that there was a domestic violence conference, and I was speaking to the domestic violence advocates in a room in the Rayburn building. Congressman Conyers comes in, grabs me out of there, and starts screaming at me at the top of his lungs in the hall. Like, I mean, just in an 
unbelievable fashion. And uh, I, I think at that time he was also screaming at me for not wearing stockings. It was like a hundred degree Washington summer day. And he also didn't wear socks, but he was yelling and screaming at me. And uh, that finally one domestic violence advocate, he leaves and is, comes out and is like, are you okay? Like So in front of domestic violence advocates, mm. he's doing this. And then there was a, um, I also had arranged a field hearing in uh, New York um, on a race and crime matter. And then he um, was on a stage and he told me to go backstage and babysit his toddler. So even though it was my hearing, I was then suddenly off stage just babys- babysitting. And then uh, the incident that I think has gotten the most coverage is that th- th- these were th- as bad as they were. We're not sexual. No, no. And here, right? so the the last yeah. thing that Kevin was, I was um, called into his office and he was walking around in his underwear. So his office. Yeah, his personal office. I was called up to go in there. The Judiciary Committee staff uh, were in a different part of the building. Yeah, uh, and I was called up there and he was walking around in his underwear. Well, I mean, what possible reason would he be walking around in his underwear? He didn't. I think he might have been, cha- you know, changing. He kept a lot of clothes in there. He might have been changing, but I, I was called in, so yeah, yeah. Um, so let me just say, I, I'm not trying to suggest that the things that I uh, went through are comparable to the sexual harassment charges. The reason that I ended up coming forward was that the Washington Post called me. Um, and uh, after the uh, allegations that had first appeared in BuzzFeed. And there were many people who were saying, well, these allegations aren't credible, and this this person is unnamed, and so we don't know if this is true. So when I read those allegations, though, I was able to corroborate some things. Like, for example, when this woman had said, well, she was forced to babysit. Well, I could say, well, you know what? That seems very likely to be true because I, too, was forced to babysit. And I um, initially, when the Post called, I said I was only willing to talk to them on background, and I explained sort of everything that I went through with Conyers. And then I thought about it for a few hours and I thought this is, you know, exactly the problem that no one ever wants to come public because of the fear of the repercussions. And I thought that uh, it was, uh, I shouldn't be covering for Conyers. Um, I shouldn't lie or cover it up. And if I went forward and was public about it, um, the allegations would have much more credibility because it's harder to dismiss a person when you know who they are rather than, you know, when just unnamed anonymous allegations. Right. Um, you uh, probably had some impact on the second staffer who maybe gave her the courage to come forward to. Uh, do you know her, Dina Mayer or Mar? No, I, no. I don't know her. Yeah. She was after me. Worked for Congress from ni- 1997 to 2005. She said the Detroit Democrat made unwanted sexual advances three times, uh, which included inappropriate touching, uh, adding to other uh, other allegations. Did you know any other women who uh, in the office who had similar experiences to yours when you were there? Um, no, I, I didn't. I have, uh, let me say also, I've heard from another former Conyers staffer who is contemplating whether she's going to be willing to come forward and who's talked to me about, um, she was an intern in his office, about uh, some things that happened to her there that were largely inappropriate, much like uh, what uh, Deanna Mayer said. So uh, there may yet be another person coming forward to talk about this. Right. So Sunday, um, as you pointed out, I mean, Congressman Conyers has been there a long time uh, and is known for being a, a, a very effective and uh, leading civil rights advocate in this country. Um, Leader Nancy Pelosi was on Meet the Press Sunday uh, and was asked about her reaction to uh, Congressman Conyers and what should happen. She stunned a lot of people with this response. We are strengthened by due process. Mm -hmm. Just because someone is accused 
you, and, and was it one accusation? Is it two? I think there has to be. John Conyers is an icon in our country. He has done a, gr- a great deal to protect women. Almost sounds like she's defending him. Yes, when it was you saw a very, that, right. what was your reaction? I was, I was very upset by it. Um, let me also say that like this has been the so often the problem uh when i talked to somebody uh 20 years ago about conyers the somebody at a leading women's group she said but he's great on our issues and this is of course also what happened in bill clinton so then you have women women actually who are saying well you know this is okay because this person's so great on our issues and of course this is ex- i mean then you, you can't get into this tribalism like we're going to criticize the left is going to criticize the people who defend president trump and roy moore but then say if it's conyers somehow we need to defend him like that's just simply not acceptable so let me say that i was deeply disappointed by uh, uh leader pelosi's comments and i reached out to her office and said that i was very unhappy about it and uh, to her credit um, leader pelosi called me yesterday and we actually spoke for 45 minutes on the phone uh, and, you know, she obviously has other things to do, but we spent 45 minutes on the phone. She apologized to me um, because also in that uh, interview, she said, you know, who are these people? No one's even come forward. Yes, and I right. said, but but I had come forward, you know. So uh, anyway, she apologized to me. Already uh, by that time, you had come forward. I had come by forward. Name. By name. Yeah. yeah, I came out on Wednesday, Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So, you know, not the time when people are necessarily paying attention to the news the Wednesday <laughs> yeah, before but, Thanksgiving. But it was in the news a lot, Wednesday, yeah, Thursday, Friday, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, anyway, so she apologized. And then we talked uh, and she told me that she did believe me. She's put out a statement to that effect saying that we discussed this and she, you know, I believe is what I've told her. And then we talked about solutions, not specifically about Con, uh, Conyers, but about, you know, there there's legislation pending, what the legislation should include. I mean, truthfully, this is a difficult issue to tackle. And uh, uh, so much of the problem about the secrecy. So but if there are people who are talking about getting rid of the non-disclosure agreements, but then there are women who might not come forward because they don't want to be outed publicly in this kind of thing. So we need to have some kind of reckoning where settlements are made public, but not necessarily the name of the accuser, but the member of Congress who settles should also should his name should be out there. And the other question is where the money's going to come from. Because some people say, well, there should be no taxpayer funds spent on this. But then some victims would really not receive any compensation for pretty awful treatment. Um, my own view is that the money ought to come out of the member's own office account. And that way they have that much less money to spend on staff or constituent service. And their uh, constituents will be aware of the fact that this came out of their budget. Well, so before we get into that, let's let what is a system like Congresswoman Jackie Spear has made this point, I think. That the system today, the process today, to the extent that it exists, is tilted totally against the victims, right? Oh, completely. So it's very difficult to get access to it. It's very difficult to get any action. Well, well. first of all, you don't even know it exists. Like when I was working there, I had no idea there was such an office. So there would be not some people wouldn't even know. But then I I think the, the most disturbing part of it is if you actually are to go to make a complaint to that office, you, the victim, must receive counseling for 30 days. And mostly what you are doing is being counseled out of making a complaint. How is it you? Why are you the person receiving counseling? That is the rule. That's the rule today. Okay. Um, (laughs) That's stunning. Uh, Good grief. The idea that uh, some people have put forward that every member of Congress and I guess every senior staffer has to have sexual harassment training. Sure. That's you know, that's a good idea. Like every corporation in America has that. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Why did it take so long to get to Congress? Why did it right? take so long? And one of the other things you'd have to have, in addition to this training, is you'd have to have uh, training that uh, makes sure that all um, 
young that all the staffers also know that there's like some kind of office of compliance. And by the way, this office of compliance, it doesn't cover people like interns and fellows anyway. So there's actually zero protection if you're an intern or a fellow. And let me say that interns are particularly vulnerable. First of all, they're they're very young. You know, they're in their young twenties, mm-hmm. and often they're you know in awe of members of Congress. So being um, having some kind of attention visited upon them by members of Congress could be you know. Uh, I think a little overwhelming. You know, it's just like we have this view that, you know, college professors, we have like very strict rules now about college professors and students. Why don't we have the same rules for members of Congress and congressional staff and interns? Right. So you start with the harass- a sexual harassment training and then a process that is known to everybody where they are, easily access- accessible. Uh, and then who's in charge of that? Well, I think that's a really good question. Not only who's in charge of that process, which um, obviously needs to be built from scratch, but then when the complaints come in, where are they going and who's going to handle them? Because so what everybody's talking about now is the House Ethics Committee. And you and I have discussed many times (laughs) over the years the problems with the House Ethics Committee. Talk about a dead letter office, right? Exactly. Black hole. This is an office that seems mostly designed to cover for the misdeeds of members of Congress. Uh, And I did raise this issue with Leader Pelosi yesterday that I was very concerned about things going to the House Ethics Committee. But the problem is there's uh, constitutionally not a lot of other places you can go. So one possibility would be to set up some kind of specific panel within the House Ethics Committee uh, that was responsible for handling these allegations. And perhaps you'd set up with specific time frame so that this couldn't just linger for years. How about transparency? Well, there's definitely a need for transparency, which does not exist now. Um, uh, right now, both uh, the chairman of the House Administration Committee and uh, Leader Pelosi have said they're actually trying to get a handle on the number of uh, settlements that are out there, and, for, and they don't even know. And I think part of the reason is uh, often these uh, settlements just show up as severance payments, so it doesn't indicate that it was a, a harassment or discrimination settlement. Um, so I think that we need to have a system. Um, all the finances of Congress are put out in these quarterly reports and green books, and they should include these kinds of settlements, which mu- should be labeled accurately as discrimination or sexual harassment settlements. Right. Uh, and then maybe some kind of a time, uh, but uh, some kind of a time frame. And then, as you point at the end of it is the result. If there is some financial settlement. Where does that money come from? Where does the money come from? Right. And it's got to hurt the member of Congress because right now with the secrecy set up and the fact that there's some other fund that pays for it, there's just they don't really have to suffer any consequences if something happens and they're forced to settle a case. And so you really need to make them responsible for the outcome. You mentioned that you expected more women to come forward who once worked for um, Congressman Conyers. Yes. And, you, I, yes. and you've talked to at least one of them. I've talked to one other person who has um, told me her story, and it's quite compelling. And I've encouraged her to come forward. But, you know, f- f- for many reasons, you can see why someone's hesitant. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, she has friends and family and a job, and you're not sure of how people are going to react. I do, I do want to say that I've been um, pleasantly surprised that for the most uh, mostly I have received an overwhelmingly positive response and really supportive comments from uh, lots of people, including people I haven't heard from in years, and uh, so I've been p- happy about that. One per the first woman who came forward, we do not know her name because it was a non-disclosure agreement. I right, think, as and part her of lawyer this- has said she wants to come forward, yeah. but she's uh, barred from it. And then you know, Conyers her- says, well, it should go to the House Ethics Committee, and that way, uh, which is really. 
I think, a way to keep it from ever becoming public. But this woman, again, she would be so much harder to dismiss if she were allowed to speak publicly. Her her charge is uh, a lot more serious than yours. Much that, more. That he, she, he fired her, as I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, that he fired her because she refused to have sex with him. Right. Yeah. Very, very serious. Are there other women in that category, do you believe? You know, I really don't know. I mean, uh, this former uh, staffer that came out today in the paper, um, she has some pretty serious allegations about being fondled and touched inappropriately. And um, the other person that I uh, have spoken with also have, was propositioned. She, she was an intern. And, you know, let me just also say, I, I think this is not a widely known fact about Mr. Conyers, but um, his wife, who is 35 years his junior, was his intern in his office. Oh, boy. <laughs> No, I didn't know that either. <laughs> oh, boy. So, you know, when there's all these people saying, well, this doesn't seem very credible, let's, like, start with the beginning. And does that, I mean, you know, I had one wow. person say, well, he, he did marry her. I'm like, okay, but when is it ever appropriate for a member of Congress to be dating their intern? Did he have this, re- did he have that reputation? grief. Yeah. <laughs> did he have that reputation uh, in the Congress? Um, you know, when I worked there, uh, there were always um, women around the office. He had a reputation of having like lots of girlfriends. Uh, so there was always some woman who was sitting around the office um, with you know no particular position or role or you know she wasn't a staffer and she would just be there. So that was something that I you know saw commonly. Honestly, I did not know that he had a reputation for. Um, sexual harassment at that time, you know, and when my own issue with the coming in with him in his underwear, you know, to me at that time, that was really much more, he was treating his office like his apartment. Yeah. And yeah. it was just like, it was his and he could walk around as he wanted. And like, I didn't suffer any repercussions for walking out. Like I wasn't, mm-hmm. I didn't get in trouble for leaving after that. Um, so, you know, but it was of course quite shocking. Did you, yeah. did, <laughs> did you leave once you I mean, I walked right out of the room. You I did. mean, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I turned on my heel and walked right out. I wasn't like, I was like, wow, I, you know, you just, it's like you would walk in on something in the bathroom. Like, you just don't do that. So I was just stunned and walked right out. You know, I'm curious about one thing, and maybe this is all part of the, the, the bigger picture, is, is you've been our guest many, many times, particularly in your role as uh, executive director of CREW, with government watchdog agency, uh, particularly on ethical issues, particularly on money issues, when people are lining their own pockets and everything. I don't remember, you certainly knew about some of these sexual harassment problems in Congress. Wouldn't that fall under the ethics banner as well? And I don't remember crew raising any of these issues at that time. Did you consider doing so? Or was this sort of territory, again, at the time that people just kind of never went into. Well, you need to have somebody making a complaint. The one time crew did, we really went after sexual harassment is if you, you'll probably remember the John Ensign case. So Senator John Ensign was having an affair with his chief of staff's wife, who was also oh, his right, campaign right. manager. Yes, 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 and yes, we right. filed an ethics complaint with the Senate Ethics Committee, which, by the way, re- uh, resulted in the Ethics Committee recommending that Senator Ensign be expelled. And it's a, an ethics opinion, by the way, totally worth looking at because the Ethics Committee uh, ultimately said that sexual harassment is a very serious serious issue, which they hadn't previously said, despite mm. the Bob Packwood issues in the 90s, right. and that you could, in fact, yeah. be um, seriously yeah. disciplined for sexual harassment. So we did. But that was a case where it became public. And the problem is, as I said, is the secrecy. Had I known of more issues about sexual harassment, I absolutely would have been on them. I also worked on right. violence against women issues for years. I've, I was very concerned. But without victims coming forward, even 
it's it's very difficult to do anything. Should uh, should Congressman Conyers resign? I think with, given this new allegation um, and the fact that I know of at least one other, given the pattern of conduct we've seen here, yes, I think he should resign. Do you think that uh, Senator Al Franken should resign? You know, I am less sure about Al Franken, the one person that um, we have, I guess, two instances right now. We have a person who said he was photographed with her and he touched her behind. And we have the um, the issue with the... Um, the, to- the person on the, 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 on yes. the tour and which and let me just say I found that photograph so upsetting uh, you know I just I could just imagine her humiliation um, so I'm really disappointed in Senator Franken you know if it turns out that there are more allegations coming forward about him I think that he yes he too will have to go um, as much as I am an admirer of him like I am an admirer of John Conyers it's just uh, as as uh, as Nancy Pelosi actually did say yesterday, like being an icon doesn't give you a license to mistreat people on an individual level. And I think that we all need to come to terms with that. Like there may be people we admire and respect, but it doesn't give them for, for their accomplishments, but it doesn't give them a license to just mistreat individuals in their orbit. And to what extent do you think uh, Donald Trump's own history has any impact on what's going on? Uh, well, I think it be- became part of this watershed moment we're in. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but Brave New Films put out this terrific little short film of six called 16 Women, which I highly recommend, which you can see all six, 16 women who made allegations of Trump in their own words. Um, and so that is it's a terrific video. Uh, and I think that became part of this, you know, that and then Harvey Weinstein. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this. You know, there's not only Congress to go, but, you know, one another field that hasn't really um had this issue raised yet is uh, finance in New York. You know, there's sure. a huge problem there as well, like women mm-hmm. in the you know banking oh, you, world. You bet. Right. And so that I think we should expect to see that, too. So I uh, but the real issue here is that what I'm hoping for is actual lasting change, because if you think about it, Anita Hill tried to stop yeah. bring up these issues 20 years ago. And, you know, it was like she was shut down and we totally it went away down. completely. Totally. And then so now it seems a little better. People are being believed. And so I, what I really hope is that for my eight year old daughter, when she's in her 20s and working on Capitol Hill, this is just a non issue. So we'll see. Yeah, that's the last exchange. Well, you're a brave person to come forward and uh, uh, on the front lines, as on many, many, many important issues. Thanks, Melanie. Thanks, Thanks for so having much. me in. Hey, that's it for today, folks. Have a great day. We'll look for you This tomorrow. is the Bill Press Show. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> Auto Trader.